Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Jake Sully. <laughs> and today, as you might have guessed, we're discussing a movie from 2009. Wow, that was a long time ago. Yes, it is. Avatar. Avatar. Supposedly, Avatar 2 still on track for 2022 Christmas release, but it's been pushed back. You know, the original Avatar 2 was supposed to be 2014. And even 2014. that was like, man, the far off world of 2014. What do you need five years for a sequel for, James Cameron? Aren't you in this same world? Who would have thought it was 13 years later? Yeah, that's like Dune World. So this got pushed well before any pandemic stuff was pushing everything else. Oh, yeah. What was the reason? He's inventing a new world. You can never put a, like a time constraints on James Cameron. You know, Titanic, the gap between Titanic and Avatar was 12 years. It's not unexpected. You can only hope and kind of expect that when he comes back, he's going to shake things up. So in between 2009 and now, 20th Century Fox was acquired by Disney. Yep. So now Avatar is available on Disney Plus and will be released there, I assume, after its theatrical debut. You mean for Disney Plus's debut? Well, I imagine this won't be a day and date Disney Plus and theatrical release. This is going to be a big holiday theatrical to do. Oh, 100%. I mean, if anything, James Cameron, probably one of his stipulations in the acquiring, in Disney acquiring 20th Century Foxes, you can't neuter Avatar. If there's ever been a cinematic experience, regardless of the narrative, regardless of the storytelling and the, and the deafness of that execution, Avatar needs to be seen in the theater, preferably in IMAX, and I dare say in 3D. Okay, so we saw this together in the theater, didn't we? I was so excited about Avatar that I went and booked all the tickets. I was all obsessy and it had to be the right seats in the dead center in the back for full scope. I got Thursday night, the premiere date, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night, all at least five tickets apiece in IMAX 3D. Where exactly? It was at the Bridge Cinema Deluxe at the time that is now the Howard Hughes Center in L.A., which is the largest, at least most accessible and reservable IMAX screen in Southern California at the time. Right. So I think we might have seen like the second or third night, and that was probably the second or third time for you. It was. And so I just filled all the seats with everybody who wanted to go with me. And I did fill all of them up. And I went four times in a row. And at the end of that weekend, I had a, like a semi-permanent divot at the on the bridge of my nose from those heavy 3D glasses. And I had seen like 20 hours of Avatar. Wow. Wow. Now, this was an anticipated fan favorite. Like, this wasn't you went and saw Jurassic Park and then you had to see it again and again. You would think. I'm telling you, man, this is movie nerd world stuff. I remember sitting in the office that I was working at. I was in entertainment at the time, pretty new. And my boss came in and he's just trying to be conversational. And he turns to me as I guess I had been established as the movie guy. And he said, Wes, what movies are coming out this year? And I was like, uh, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah 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 and then avatar and nothing no response and he like gave me a blank look and i was like avatar nothing and i said guys 
understand that this December, James Cameron returns after 12 years and Avatar is going to change the way movies are made. Nothing. So I really think it was just the nerds because no, I mean, yes, Titanic, but that was, you know, for some of these people, it was in their childhood. And who's James Cameron? I don't know, because he hasn't been relevant or on the scene for that long. And after Titanic did such blockbuster business, could you possibly follow it up with something as successful, mm -hmm. as memorable as Titanic? And that is up for debate, but it certainly became the highest grossing movie of all time and held that for 12 years, 11 years. So in that sense, it did best Titanic. It was nerd, like nerds were anticipating Avatar, but the public followed suit. I mean, they obviously turned out in droves and drove this box office. And I'm wondering if they're going to do the same for Avatar 2, given it's been so long. I, I do believe it's it's kind of a new thing. Like, like everyone's like, Jurassic World, it's not Jurassic Park. And we're like, but it's kind of Jurassic Park, right? So we'll see it because Jurassic Park is important to us from, what, almost 30 years ago now, as of 2023? and. Oof. <laughs> and so Avatar, I think, will be a new movie for new people because those of us who saw it in the theater and remember it was kind of a long time ago. It seems like Avatar had all the things going for it. Groundbreaking cinematic techniques, the James Cameron cachet, promise of adventure and romance and otherworldliness. But did you feel like Avatar delivered on the satisfaction that, say, Titanic or T2 did? No. I do believe that Titanic, well, I mean, obviously it's history, historical fiction, I guess they would call it. But Terminator and Terminator 2 were obviously original stories. James Cameron is known for this. He has a distinctive voice. And with Avatar, I think, came the promise of a new world and grand adventure and something completely original. And visually and stylistically, it likely was that. It still dances with wolves. It's still Fern Gully, <laughs> just blue. And uh, so it's obvious that the the Navi, and, and sorry for being indelicate about this, you know, like in terms of political correctness, but they're kind of Native Americans. I mean, they read as Native Americans to me, especially because of the way they talk and Wes Studi being a Tucan the, the, in sort of a prominent role. His voice is unmistakable. West Duty from Last the Mohicans. And Dances with Wolves. So all I'm saying That's is right. it was a, like a super horsey culture and very tied to nature and stuff. And it, it was fine, but it wasn't a secret. James Cameron's part of this movie was his outrage at the treatment of indigenous peoples. So it was very Native American based, but then also completely foreign and blue and alien. Fine. But those themes, they're not coincidental. It's not unheard of to borrow from films past, even successful films, and to reinterpret them and reintroduce them in new ways to new audiences. Fine. I mean, you can't say that this is a total retread when you consider the technical and cinematic achievements for this film. But really, like side by side, are they that similar? And I mean, not not 100%, but there were enough so that you understand what it is. And in that vein, it makes it less than completely original in my mind. But as you said, for technical execution and cinematic power, and just the idea that this needs to be seen on a big screen, I think if you're new to Avatar, 100%, and I will be the first in line for Avatar 2 in IMAX, because to tell you the truth, after having seen it five times in a row upon its release, I didn't see it again until it was re-released, I think a year or two later, with additional footage that he had squeezed in. And then I didn't see it again, because I didn't want to watch it non-theatrically for 
10 years until it was released digitally. I got my hands on a DVD copy for a dollar and I was like, score! And then it came on Disney Plus or whatever. But uh, it was a pure immersive movie cinema experience that I didn't need to revisit after having seen it so many times in optimal format. I can certainly appreciate Avatar's achievement, right? And even if it is drafting off of Dances with Wolves, you know, 20 years it's prior, like Dances with Wolves was best picture for 1990, like not a bad film to draft off of or to borrow from. My thing with Avatar is I feel the same way I did about it now as I did when I first saw it in 2009. Like, I'm like, wow, that was really neat. But meh? There's no gut punch. I don't have that kind of pseudo addictive movie pull thing where I'm like, it's been a while. I got to watch Avatar. I mean, I do because I'm like, that one part is sweet. I wish I could. So that um, let me watch that one really cool scene on YouTube. But let me tell you, for all the emotional impact and you're supposed to be outraged and, and all these colonials coming in and trampling the bioluminescent forest and all this stuff. The one thing that continues to resonate with me, even as cheesy as I understand that it is looking at it, my reaction to it in retrospect, but in the theater like I'm looking for big moments, mouth dropping, emotionally engaging moments, not just like, oh, those gunships are neato. When they mm. ultimately blow the foundations and bring down mm. home tree, I was like, mm. no. <laughs> and, and the mom is like, Wah! and I felt it, man, because it took like 30 seconds for that <laughs> giant tree to come down. And Neytiri's like, but at the time and every time for a moment where they chopped down a tree, uh, that one, I, I kind of felt I kind of felt it. If there was a gut punch for me, that was it. It is. And it, so it's not in the sense that you're like longing to be a part of this world. It's in the sense that you feel for the Navi and the ultimate and total and devastating destruction of their home. The home tree is, well, their home. It's everything. It's where the people live. It's how they're further connected to the earth it's also i think all the dragons and whatnot the uh what are they called ikran the ikran all of the dragons and stuff don't they live at the tip tops of the cliffs and the and the treetops and stuff uh you know there's like drop-off points and like uber spots in home tree where they drop off the navi and then they fly off to their home in the mountains so when it came down, there were a bunch of Ikran and, and Navi flying around in the treetops as it was coming down. And then once they get home tree down, why don't they just go mine and get out of there? Like, does it then become this vengeful quest to just, like, annihilate the Navi? Well, yeah. I mean, like, why do they attack the Tree of Souls or, or wherever it is that they flee to? Well, the Tree of Souls is where the un- unobtainium is primarily located. So why did they take out home tree? Because they're trying to humble them. They're trying to, to hamstring them. And just demonstrate their power in a focused way that makes them understand that resistance is futile. So they could all go and assemble at the exact place where they want to mine? Yep. And also it looks way better to bring down Home Tree than to just blast uh, the other place. Which wasn't very grandiose. It was colorful and stuff. But bringing down that tree is a really is a real symbol of dominance. See, if I knew all the ins and outs and all the names, and if I like quoted a line in Navi or something, you'd be like, nerd alert. But <laughs> it requires immersion. You have to understand in this movie what they're going for or it doesn't work, right? Do you know any Navi? No. I mean, it's a literal language, right? It's a n- literal language. That's hard to say. 
And James Cameron uh, commissioned a linguist to come in and build a language that he he wanted to have it sound aesthetically appropriate to our ears and yet not resemble human languages. So I think that this linguist came up with about a thousand words of this language to suit the needs. This brings me to the Academy Awards when Best Foreign Film won. And the guy gave the best joke of that Academy Awards that nobody got. And I laughed and nobody did. The first thing the foreign language guy said when accepting his Oscar was, I want to thank the Academy for not considering Navi a foreign language. <laughs> Pretty savvy. That's good. Yep. Nobody got it. Dead silence. And I was like, ha! From my nerd chair. Basically, what he's saying is if Avatar was considered a foreign language film, he and his little, presumably little, foreign film would have had no chance. Because Avatar did some cleaning up. It has some Oscars. It was just denied the big prize by who? Who could possibly have beaten Avatar for Best Picture at the Oscars? Uh, is there a specific name for revenge that is taken by a wife? <laughs> There should be, right? Doesn't that seem like a very specific kind of revenge? I don't know. It's like comeuppance or something. But it was The Hurt Locker by Catherine Bigelow, who was married to James Cameron. And so there, there was some retribution there. I don't think they're on... They're, I mean, they are both filmmakers of a high level, and I think that they have a real professional respect. They just didn't work out uh, in terms of marriage. James Cameron, by all accounts, a, a difficult person because he is very exacting in his standards. So he's tough to love, but you, I don't think anybody doesn't respect the guy. I mean, Gail Ann Hurd speaks highly of him, right? right? His first wife, Gail Ann Hurd, very successful film and TV producer in her own right, in addition to having produced Terminator. James Cameron is up there with the great filmmakers, um, just in terms of moving the art of movie making forward, love him or hate him or just being kind of eh about him. And so everyone understands that. But I, I hear he's 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 kind of yelly. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you look to Avatar, the Grace character, Sigourney Weaver's character, she more or less based that on, around James Cameron. Guys, where are my cigarettes? What's wrong with this picture, guys? That kind of thing. Is that true? How do you know that? That's what she said. You know, it's kind of loving homage, but his forceful personality and just expecting everyone to understand what he's shooting for and not having to hold hands is something that resonated with her. I'm on James Cameron's side in that Avatar reportedly cost $280 million to produce like 13 years ago. Time is money, people. Get to running. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. Nobody came for James Cameron in the Me Too movement. Nobody said that he was abusive in that sense. He just requires a strict professionalism. And if you're dumb enough not to understand that, you're going to get maybe yelled at. Yep, or ousted. And you probably don't want to do that. I mean, what a credible opportunity as a filmmaker in any capacity to work on a project like Avatar, a history-making James Cameron, like, last series of films. Although I don't know if that's even about. Is Avatar and its three sequels James Cameron's last hurrah? Newsflash, four sequels. Currently, Avatar 5, something that blows my mind, given that we're in 2022 and we still have not seen part two yet, is currently slated for release in 2028. And it turns out that James Cameron is about 68 years old, which is younger than I thought. Hopefully he's got a lot of time ahead of him and hopefully he sees these all the way through. But uh, we, as far as I understand, he's got nothing going on except the very deliberately paced and spaced avatars two, three, four, and five. What a way to go out. I mean, if you're going to top the most successful movies of all time, you know, in your, <laughs> like, I guess this is how you do it. 
with a five-part groundbreaking cinematic experience. I hope that is the case. We're going to see things in Avatar 2 that are not retreads. We're basing our anticipation for the Avatar sequels on James Cameron's track record, but really it's very under wraps. I mean, all I know is what, Kate Winslet's in it? Yep. She held her breath for some kind of record-breaking amount of time. Beat Tom Cruise. And I had a production manager friend who was working on the VFX side of Avatar and he never saw a script. There's like a single copy of a script and it's in this vault where you can like be invited and check in and read it there and walk away and there's no copies and very, very secretive. I'm fine with all of this, man, because this one doesn't need promotion behind it. You're either going to see it or you're not. And I think most people understand, hopefully at this point, given the track record of two worldwide uh, record-breaking box office uh, successes that James Cameron movies are events and will be spectacles to behold. I mean, consider that Titanic had a lot of uh, negative press and it broke through all that and had staying power. Didn't open crazy well, but stayed. And Avatar... Stayed and stayed and stayed. Right? But Avatar was something that nobody knew anything about. And it wasn't like the Avengers. So Avengers Endgame finally bested Avatar by a fraction, by, you know, $20 million or something or even less to take the all-time box office record. And we're talking about nearing $3 billion now worldwide. But it did so after 10 years of Iron Man and Captain America and Thor and the Incredible Hulk and Avengers, two Avengers movies and buildups and an Avengers Infinity War and all of this stuff where we got Marvel, Marvel, Marvel nonstop. And Avatar was just like, here it is. So that the vast majority of people <laughs> didn't know what it was until they saw it in theaters. I'm okay with not knowing anything about Avatar 2 and then having it bonk me over the head with goodness or at least funness. <laughs> Funness. Bonk me over the head with funness, James Cameron. Avatar 2, we're talking about a $400 million budget. And I get it that it will undoubtedly surpass that number and it will make money. But how much money in an age where you can't rely on hundreds of millions of dollars from the theater alone? I don't think it's going to stop James Cameron. I don't think he cares necessarily about the box office when he's creating a movie. But it is, I'm sure it's worrisome for Disney. Maybe, you know, we'll see what kind of creative stuff Disney can do to get a real premium experience in front of fans. Yeah. Well, if there's a movie to put your effort and might behind, it's probably Avatar 2. And this could be a turnaround for the industry as a whole. Everybody does this every time. Everybody doubts James Cameron and he somehow pulls it out. We'll see how it goes. So back to Avatar, we should probably talk about something that we like we should probably we should talk we should probably talk about the the film itself for a minute. What James Cameron says later on after the fact is that Jake Sully, James Cameron claims that he wanted an unknown in the role, but I mean I don't know that that's true. Matt Damon has long reported that he was up for this role. James Cameron said I want you for it. If you don't do it, I'll find somebody else. And Matt Damon couldn't do it because of contractual obligations to the Bourne franchise. And while that was hugely profitable for it's not Avatar. So he missed out on possibly hundreds of millions. Dude, James Cameron, I think, offered him, don't quote me on this, I think it was 10 or 15% back end. Come on. What? That's a lot of money. That's hundreds of millions of dollars. So I'm so sorry, Matt That's Damon. That's like breach of contract worthy kind of money. 
Like, sorry, Bourne. Sam Worthington, I don't love. His accent is super wonky. I like a lot of the players, but I have to point out Stephen Lang as Korich is amazing. Just his delivery. He's the perfect Korich. So it turns out that Michael Bean, who we talked about in Aliens and stuff and is a James Cameron regular, was up for the Korich role. He wanted him, but then when Sigourney Weaver came on board, he thought that people would feel it was a little bit too much of an alien reunion. But Stephen Lang coming in, all old and yoked and scary, looks a lot like if uh, Colonel Hicks, the Michael Bean character, had survived that long to go to Pandora. He looks like him. And Stephen Lang's Korich <laughs> reminds me so much of Michael Bean. I think that it could not be better than that super scary, super intense, super jacked dude in that role. He's not the main <laughs> character, but he's so good. Uh -huh. Spoiler alert. It's possible we'll see him again in the Avatar universe. I would agree. Uh, Stephen Lang as Korich is a great villain, and he's definitely the nemesis, right? He is the personification of the Sky People enemy, and that is um, further demonstrated in his showdown, his very alien-like showdown with Jake Sully in his Avatar manifestation at the end. Yep, in a big mech suit, being all white and colonizer-y. <laughs> in the in the big mech suit, you know, in the jungle, right? He's not on his home turf, but um, it takes a lot of Navi to take down Korich in the mech. Yep. And when he falls, it you feel it. The victory is palpable, and then we just got to figure out how to get Jake Sully into his avatar body permanently. Right. Which uh, which they set up nicely with the failure to do that with Grace's character. Mm -hmm. I, I like this movie. The Navi, I think, look kind of dumb. I think their animals look kind of dumb. Of course, you realized as a cinephile, it was immediately obvious to you, right? That the Navi little horsey thingies just stole directly sound effects from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes, there is one roar in particular that it's like. Yeah, the raptor that's bark. so obvious. It's so obvious. Oh my, yes. I don't see how yes. that could ever. Be. If they were trying to sneak it under, I just don't see how something that iconic could ever fall on deaf ears. But then again, some people, even though you're like, oh, Wilhelm scream, people are like, really? Really? I didn't hear it. How do you not hear the will? Look, it's just, it's us alone adrift in movie nerddom. And there are other islands or whatever, but it's not a linked up community yet. It's whatever. It is. I mean, and it, but it's, but it's kind of fun and I doesn't feel like cribbing to me. It kind of feels like fun or it feels insidery. I mean, don't think it's lost on me that there's the horse people and the seafaring people and the jungle people. I mean, this is all like, did Game of Thrones borrow from Avatar or did they borrow from stuff that they love? Stuff that you know is part and parcel with epics and, and i get it which is why i don't hate avatar for trading on dances with wolves or fern gully or whatever but in terms of execution i don't love the design of the navi or whatever i think the bioluminescence is a little bit of a cheat like does it look cool yeah but it also looks hyper color which kind of masks an element of photorealism if that makes sense you can make it shiny and otherworldly because it's an other another world it's a different place but it also looks a little bit fake as cool as it is you can dress stuff mm. up with colors and lights and make it look better than it does and it's kind of a cheat for special effects i'm not suggesting that's what james cameron set out to do because he originally envisioned this bioluminescent sort of wonderland in a dream that he had way back in the 90s and then of course by day the floating mountains and all that stuff looks very if you will earth-like 
earth-like enough so that it feels familiar and thus grand and unusual to us. You know, whoa, it's like earth, but it's floating. But I think the real strength mm -hmm. of Avatar is that he could have made this easier on himself. It could have been a Matt Damon sized or Sam Worthington sized avatar amongst these humanoid and human sized people, uh, this alien race, but he didn't. We have human characters with masks interacting with the Navi on Pandora. And the scale is something that he paid particular attention to. And I think did a really good job. When Neytiri draws the bow, we have a very human camera angle in scale. And then she shoots him and that arrow is like nine feet long. <laughs> and yeah. pins cords to the mech and you're like whoa and and so in that respect it was really good uh peter jackson did something similar in a lot of forced perspective work on the the lord the original lord of the rings and that's what sticks out to me is the scale and scaling in avatar that makes it feel like it was a real technical feat when they could have done it easier yeah, it's interesting. And whenever there is a human reference, you realize how huge the Navi are, right? Yep. And you put little Dr. Grace Augustine next to her Navi counterpart and they're laying down there and you're like, wow, that thing is like twice her size. Yep. Like how fun for those actors, how delicious for Stephen Lang and Giovanni Ribisi to be these these villains. But what about Zoe Saldana? What about her? I mean, apparently she knocked it out of the park. And when he saw her, he didn't really consider. He he looked at a lot of people. But once she read, he didn't consider anyone else. Uh, he, James Cameron mentioned the learning curve for having actors in mocap mo suits with the little face boom because they had a camera pointed directly at their face. It was a new technique that really kind of gave their characters the humanistic qualities of the performers that were, you know, in their roles. And they were correctly, emotively expressive. I mean, Zoe, Zoe Saldana, does everyone know her name? Maybe not. Probably because she's painted different colors in, the, in, in these two movies. But she is in both of the, the big box office successes spots one and two of all time oh you mean with her performance in endgame you have to right and you have to imagine that zoe saldana is eventually going to rank up there with sam jackson and that while he's never necessarily carried a massive movie solely on his shoulders as a single starring role he still had the biggest box office return of all time because he was in so many huge prominent movies pulp fiction and and jurassic park and things like that and the avengers movies hmm. right or the 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 Marvel movies. And so Zoe Saldana holds that distinction. Um, what's your concern about her character? I mean, I mean, I guess there's a cumulative effect of her success, but it seems like she doesn't get to kind of reap the human rewards of being an entirely virtual character. I mean, I mean, I guess she is the most human Navi, I guess, in her associ association with Jake Sully and, and training him and stuff. And the parents, the, the dad dies and the, the boyfriend dies. And so she's kind of, even though she doesn't have a human counterpart, she still is a very prominent character, maybe one of the most prominent. I mean, interesting to note that despite some great performances and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine Academy Award nominations, not one is for performance. Yeah. Right. And could a Zoe Saldana type character in future avatars be considered for best actor? I don't know. To me, this character 
feels and kind of looks a little bit like Zoe Saldana. She's very, she's very slight and angular in her build. And so, I mean, obviously she doesn't look like a Navi, but the Navi doesn't look dissimilar. I would venture to say that Neytiri's Navi character looks more like Zoe Saldana than Grace's avatar looks like Sigourney Weaver, which is just a little bit weird. <laughs> This is to say that I feel like Zoe Saldana blends into this role really nicely. It doesn't take me out of it where I was like, oh, that's weird. That's Zoe Saldana's face on that avatar. And maybe it would be weird if Jake Sully or if that if the, his Navi representation looked like Matt Damon and <laughs> be like, that's a little bit distracting. But because Sam Worthington was fresh enough to me, Jake Sully and his avatar just look like that character. That's what they look like. Yeah. Sam Worthington doesn't evolve as a human. He evolves in his avatar. And that feels very convincing to me. I hope Michelle Rodriguez, you know, they like find all of her body parts or something and like put her back together and get her her own avatar. Trudy was a part of the military force and she's a badass alpha chick or whatever. I get all that. Definitely channeling what's her face from Alien. You think? Jeanette Goldstein, the least likely uh, alpha female kind of thing but who acted amazingly in all of James Cameron's movies and, and is a chameleon but uh, she's the one who switched sides deliberately in the face of death and then ultimately her sacrifice means a lot for the human condition and the spirit and the lack of humanity that Quaritch shows she balances that out naturally because everyone else was just kind of like go 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 kind of soldiers on the ground right he was really the only strategist or person that could be held accountable and so she was the uh the conscientious counterpart i guess along with norm yeah no they make a great little team of renegades and succeed in their quest to maintain the navi presence and dominance on the world of Pandora so that we can get four more sequels. <laughs> and <laughs> We got new characters, man. It's going to be something at least. I know that there are some surprising names and stuff. I Maybe this is a Star Wars style universe where it's bigger than just this little corner of Pandora, you know? Yeah, I just don't see the, um, the Navi plushies is all. I don't know, man. Like, how does Star Wars lend itself so well to merch? Is it just because it's embedded in social and cultural consciousness? I guess so. And I mean, I don't know that Avatar really was that. It's coming. Uh, Disney owns the machine. They're going to they're gonna be all over promotion one way or another for Avatar 2. It's coming. I'm not worried about it because frankly, it doesn't impact my life. Give me a good movie. Avatar 2 coming ostensibly in 2022. And this James Cameron month is our primer for what may be the biggest cinematic event of, I don't know what, our lifetime. Our lifetimes, arguably. Uh, Avatar is the biggest, but arguably not the best. And we're coming to the best as far as you and I are concerned. We hope that you're enjoying our James Cameron month, including this discussion on Avatar. And now has come the moment of truth. Avatar may be quote unquote review proof, but where does your rating lie? I think if you're going to understand movie spectacles, this is one. Titanic was one. Terminator 2 was one. But if there was ever a movie that needed to be seen in the theater, even more so than Jurassic Park because of what they're presenting to us, I think Avatar is the one. Avatar is a totally... I'm a big proponent of premium format theaters. It's how movies feel best. As a thematic, uh, cinematic experience, especially after the fact, in retrospect, Avatar is just all right. It's 
fine. The story doesn't move me. It looks amazing and should be seen as amazingly presented as possible. It's a totally all right. Like the technology that he created for this movie, the, the Cameron Pace Fusion 3D camera, they're just making stuff up. For the purposes of this movie, I'm doing the same with a hybrid, totally all right rating. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think Justified Avatar is a spectacle to behold, but I don't think that anything will ever quite best Titanic for me. I mean, maybe Avatar 2 will deliver that 40-something gut punch that uh, I'm, I'm primed and ready for. So I guess we'll see. But in the meantime, I'm happy to give James Cameron's Avatar a good. And that is our review. We appreciate you. We appreciate our listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast and following us on social media. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you for tuning in for James Cameron Month. And we'll see you next time. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.